0: Thank you for checking out the Life Church Utah audio podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. To find out more information about Life Church, please check us out at lifechurchutah.com. If you'd like to support our ministry, you can do so by going to our website or by texting the word LC GIVE to 95577. Um in getting ready for uh, for the uh, typical message on a uh, on a Sunday morning, I'll usually on Friday night or Saturday night spend spend a little bit of time going back over the message and just making sure that I, I kind of remember the points and things that I'm going to be uh, speaking. And uh, just happened knowing what we're going to be talking about today, got an email uh, last night that I thought was just perfect. And and here it is the the um, the subject line on the email was. Drop pounds fast without diet or exercise. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is heavenly, right? How many of you have gotten an email like that before? You're like, yes, the Lord is in this. This is great. <laughs> so I received it, and like, you know, the shortcut to health, and, then I, and I walk in, there's a, a room back here in the back where the band meets beforehand, we pray together before service. And what did they have except... Krispy Kreme donuts. And so I thought to myself, I got an email. It says, without diet or exercise, good. I can have the body that I've always dreamed of. Or maybe the body my wife's always dreamed of, right? <laughs> but it doesn't. You, you scroll down, and there's this like massive individual. And if I just follow whatever this is, no diet or exercise, I'm going to look like them. Sign me up. (laughs) We have another buy. This is great. But how many of you know the reality? What happens if I eat Krispy Kreme donuts every day, like a dozen at a time? Will I end up with the body I've always dreamed of? I'll end up with the body I deserve at that point, right? So is there a shortcut to health? There really isn't. There's, there's no shortcut. It takes work. I uh, just started uh, working out. One of those things, um, I'm planning on doing a, a long run here in about a year and a half, and so i got to start now. So I started working out, and I realize uh, I'm 48 years old, and my body doesn't respond the same way it used to, when it comes to, to taking off what I feel like I need to take off. Because right there, those two bites, that's like 30 minutes of, of running on a treadmill. It's ridiculous. It used to not be that way. It takes work. It's effort. It takes a lot of discipline to lose weight and to get into shape. And I would say, spiritually speaking as well, there are no shortcuts. There really aren't. I wish there were. I, I truly wish that there was a pill you could take and you become as spiritual as you ever, well, there might, might be, <laughs> uh, but not the right kind of spirituality, right? And, um, and, and so there's no shortcuts to true biblical spirituality. It's just not going to happen. There's discipline. There's effort. There's work. I think mean, sometimes in our American culture, we want the shortcuts. We, we want the quickest way uh, to, that f- to that destination. Uh, when I was growing up as a teenager, I had a four-wheel drive vehicle, and you know the shortest distance between two points is that straight line, and that is the shortcut, and I would take that every time I possibly could because I had four-wheel drive. I could go anywhere I wanted to. Superheroes. There's a superhero that many of us would know, and uh, we've got two shots here. We've got one who is, I'll tell you who this is real quick. This is Uncle Ben, and then we've got uh, Spider Man, Peter Parker. And there's a season in Peter Parker's life when he is in the middle. He, his life has been transformed. He's no longer the goofy teenager. Now he's a goofy teenager that dresses up as Spider Man and is able to shoot webs out of his hands and is able to climb walls. That's a pretty incredible talent. It's something that uh, anybody able to do that? No. Nope? Okay. Good. <laughs> if you can, let me know. We'll talk right afterwards. Um, but his life has permanently changed. He's trying to navigate all of these new things in his life. There's incredible power now that, that he has. And his uncle Ben, they they drive up to the car, uh, drive up in a car, and they're I think in front of the library. This is in uh, Spider-Man One, I believe, kind of the relaunch of Spider-Man. And uh, Uncle Ben is talking to um, talking to Peter Parker, and he says this line, and many of you will recognize this line, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in it, and here it is, with great power comes great responsibility. I actually say amen to that, because <laughs> I do think that there's a lot of truth to that, especially if you can climb walls and shoot webs out of your, out of your hands, right? But there's a reality that we need to address within each one of us, see, because Christ has radically transformed our lives. He's changed us. We're no longer who we used to be. And in a weird sort of way, there, there's that hero that we, that we know that God wants us to be, that that's, we're struggling trying to figure out that identity and, and how we become what God has asked us to be. And the Bible says that he fills us with the power of his spirit, that, that we live in that power And so I would say, in echoing what Uncle Ben said, is that like a rice as well? I just realized that. Uh, We say what Uncle Ben says, right? Uh, With great power comes great responsibility. We have a responsibility with the Spirit of God living within us not to hold that in. We sang about it just a little bit ago. God, let us share that love with those around us. We can't hold it to ourselves. So the question is, how do we keep the spiritual fervor alive within us. How do we keep that hunger alive within us? Well, there's a scripture verse in a Romans chapter 12, verse 11. I'm reading out of the uh, uh, Christian Standard Bible. It says, Do not lack diligence in zeal. That word diligence there is not just an emotionalism, there's a diligence, there's a, um, a purposeful putting yourself in zeal. So, do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit serve the Lord. The NIV has a a slightly different reading just where the commas and the pauses are put. And this is what it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's almost like there's a formula here that uh, that Paul is speaking to the church. So Paul's writing this to the Roman church and really uh, Romans chapter 12, I encourage you, uh, read that. It's really so, so practical and uh, so many great ways to put, uh, put uh, God's life in action in our own life. And so he comes to this, this point of key spiritual fervor, and it's like he's answering a question that the church is asking, how do we keep this alive? So basically he's saying, you want to keep your zeal? You want to keep your fervor? want to keep your excitement? want to keep your energy for Christ? Here's how you do it. Here's the secret. Serving. Right? That idea last week, we talked about giving ourselves, and that's what serving is, is giving, giving our best, <laughs> giving with the end in mind, giving, uh, knowing the source of that giving. It's serving. The author of Hebrews brings this out in a Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. You ever been caught doing something wrong? (laughs) I don't really like being caught doing something wrong, right? And so here it is telling us that God delights, I think, in catching us doing the right things. He takes according to the word of God, that right thing is serving. You want God to take note of your life? Serve. So how do we become a hero in serving? Three very simple points. I want to try to get through this uh, pretty quickly here. And uh, how to become a hero in serving. So first of all, the hero of serving is passionate. The hero of serving is passionate. There's a story in Acts chapter 16. Paul, this, this great leader in the, uh, in the early church, had heard from God. He's supposed to go to Macedonia, makes his way to a town called Philippi, which is in, uh, kind of in that general region. And as he's passing through the front gates, he probably noticed a sign that was on there that said, uh, no foreign gods or religions uh, welcome in this town. Archaeologists have actually found that, uh, that sign, that archway there at the gate when people would walk in about the time of, uh, of uh, Paul. And so he walks in knowing this is an uphill battle that he's going to be facing. And so he gets into town. There's no synagogue, no, no gathering of the Jews so that he can tell them about Jesus. But he hears about a group of God-fearing women. And what that means is that they were not Jewish. They would be Gentile women who somehow had heard about God, the God of the Bible, and were attempting to live this life without being fully, uh, kind of having the full knowledge of what that means. And so they would gather at a river. And on on the Sabbath, uh, Acts chapter 16, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gates, to the the gate because foreign gods were not welcome and the God of the Bible would be a foreign God. And... uh, Spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of uh, Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. It says, and she prevailed on us. So there's with Lydia, this this lady, now she was a a dealer in in purple cloth, and so uh, she was a a woman of of some means, I mean, she she had her own business, and she was able to provide for herself, and she does this natural thing when God began moving in her life. Heard about God, she got baptized, which is wonderful, (laughs) her entire household with her, but she did the next step, and that was she offered to serve. She offered to provide something that Paul and the team were lacking, provide hospitality to them. She was offering herself and her services to say, I want to make sure that we take care of you because my relationship with God, I need to express gratitude in this way, the way that she started out expressing gratitude. And I love it that she was passionate about it. Now, Paul, if you read between the lines of a lot of Paul's letters, he was a a very intense individual. He was not a pushover. He was not somebody that you could just say, uh, you could manipulate in any way. But we know that Lydia was passionate in her serving. How do we know this? Because at the end, it said, and she prevailed upon us. In other words, uh, she wasn't taking no for an answer. Anybody ever come up against a moment like that when nobody's going to, they're not going to take no for an answer and you keep trying and trying and trying, right? And they don't do that. So there was within Lydia this recognition, their relationship with God had just taken this massive leap, and there was a passion in her serving. She wasn't half-hearted. Uh, speaking of half-hearted, um, you ever gone to a meal, and somebody pays for your meal, and how grateful you are for them to pay for you? Anybody ever had that before, right? Okay, go there, and you do that. Um, th- there are times when you're supposed to pay for somebody's meal, right? I mean, when you're supposed to be the one to do it. Um, and, you know, typically that's, that's kind of how I operate and all that stuff until my mom comes into town. I'm just being honest here, folks. My mom comes into town. It's amazing how slow my hand reaches for the wallet. <laughs> You're like, no, no, mom, I've got this. And then she pulled, I'm like, okay, you've got this. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? That half hearted attempt to pay for somebody's meal. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I'm sorry, folks. Just, you know, that's just me in that moment. <laughs> next time my mom's in town, my mom watches. So, sorry, mom, I love you. <laughs> next, time she's in, next time you're in town, mom, I'm paying for that meal, right? So have, she was uh, she, I meaning Lydia, was not half hearted at all in her serving the people of God. Well, the story goes on, and Paul and Silas are uh, kind of on their way uh, doing some ministry. They come across a young girl who's filled with a demon who's able to tell the future, and her owners, uh, the the slave owners, um, are upset when Paul casts this demon out of the young girl, and she's no longer able to tell the fortunes of others. They realize their business has been shot, so what do they do? They have Paul and Silas in prison, and and, uh, the book of uh, Acts chapter 16 tells this whole story And uh, Paul and Silas are miraculously uh, rescued. God performs an incredible miracle. And uh, they are worn out. They're broken in this process. And, you know, they're physically drained, uh, probably very spiritually alive, just to experience this incredible miracle, but physically drained, really in need of recharging. Where do they turn at the end of the story? Acts chapter 16, verse 40. So they went out of the prison And they visited Lydia. Now, the leaders of the town had basically said, Paul and Silas, you are no longer welcome in the city. So where do they go when they are at the lowest point of their ministry? They go to where they would receive hospitality, where that serving was passionate. And what does the Bible say about it? When they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So Lydia's place became a place of encouragement and hope for Paul and the rest of the people of God that were with Paul, traveling with him on this trip. And that, to me, speaks of passion in serving. And God says, this is the kind of person that we are to be, even if you serve initially out of a sense of gratitude and maybe even obligation, but that turned the corner when she realized she could provide something that was missing in Paul's life. She could provide something that was uh, kind of lacking in Silas's life and the rest of those who were with them. And she offered again to serve. All around us, every weekend here at Life Church, at Iglesia Vida, Life Church Tooele, we have people that come through the doors that are at the end of their rope that physically just down and maybe mentally and spiritually just broken and that sense of, of desperation. Like Lydia, we need to be people who are passionate in serving these folks, be passionate in going to the highways and the byways and telling about Jesus Christ. Folks that need encouragement, need hope, need blessing, like Lydia, you are in a position to be a hero of serving and to give what God has asked us to give, which is. in the people here at Life Church, through our children's ministry and youth ministry, and, and serving through our ushers and greeters and so many other people. So, next, we see that the hero of serving is intentional, is intentional. It was a time of upheaval in the church, and this guy named Saul, who later on becomes Paul, but Saul, this is much earlier than the story we just read, Saul is out persecuting the church. He, he's trying to, or following after Christ, he's in fact trying to kill some of them, and he was the guy who was there when Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is stoned to death. Paul is right there giving approval of what's happening. Well, Well, Saul had come to Christ. His life had been radically transformed, but some of the people didn't believe that his life was transformed because they were afraid of him. Have you ever been on the outside looking in, in a situation where you feel like you just don't know what's going on, but you want to be a part of it? That's really where Saul's life was at this point. Nobody would accept him because he was somebody who was persecuting, and, and the church was kind of arm's length for Paul. He needed a way in. Well, that way in was a guy by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas, which uh, his name means son of encouragement. It's a, it's, a, it's a great nickname to have. This guy named Barnabas, we meet him in Acts chapter 4. He's the guy that, that sold some of his property and gave it to the church. This incredible act of service and generosity. And it changed the reality of many people in the early church. And it be kind, of, kind of became the standard by which the church uh, viewed generosity. And so Barnabas saw something in this new kid on the block, right? He saw something in this, this young guy that is serving the Lord, and Barnabas became the way in. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when he, when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciples. He seen the generosity, seen the way that he had served the to them, how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas took a chance on serving another, and this other turned out to be one of the greatest influencers of the church. I mean, writing a large portion of the New Testament, his, his readings and his teachings are still things we study to this day, and it all started with Barnabas opening the door to somebody and saying, I am intentionally bringing you in. The great part about the one who serves intentionally is your influence can shape a generation. I think of the influence of those who do serve in our nursery, and our children's, uh, children's ministry, being a safe place for our kids to come and be a part of the parents. If you've got kids in there, they are well taken care of. And they are intentionally shaping the lives of your children, because we want to see your children uh, explode in their faith. We want to see your children grow, become influential within our culture, and it all starts there because somebody is giving themselves intentionally, opening the door, right? Amen, amen. So we need to be intentional about serving our generation, especially those coming behind us who need to see us serving. So parents... Your children need to see you serving. Adults, if you don't have kids, your, your, um, your, your cousins and nephews, they need to see you serving. This generation coming up, they need to see us serving because they need to become the influences of our culture. So from Lydia, we see the hero of serving is passionate. From Barnabas, we see the hero of serving is intentional. And finally, we find out that the hero of serving is consistent. Here of serving is consistent. So being consistent is a good thing. It speaks of trust. It speaks of long-haul influence. It's, consistency is what makes chain restaurants so comforting. <laughs> right? Because if, if I am here in uh, West Valley City, and I go to McDonald's, and I get some of their French fries, which are straight from heaven, that's what they had, manna, that's exactly what it is. Um, <clears throat> So, so get the french fries here, and you have them, and you're going, this is awesome. And then you go to Illinois, where, where, where Shelly and I are from the last 12 years. And, oh, by the way, like Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, it's like minus 23 degrees, actual temperature, with like a 15-mile-an-hour wind blowing. Thank God we're in Utah, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love it. Ah. Oh. God is good. <laughs> but if I go there to Oswego, Illinois, and I go to the McDonald's there, I've been there many times, and I have their french fries, what am I going to find? Consistent incredibleness, <laughs> right? And they're all healthy just like this. Oh, Starbucks, french vanilla latte. Everywhere you go, the same. Consistency. And the greatest pizza of all time, Little Caesar's Pizza. (laughs) It's consistent in its product. you got to give it that at least, right? It's across the board. It's consistent. For me, the best person to turn to when it comes to consistency is Christ himself. Because if anybody had reason to not be consistent, it was him. Because the world was truly against him. There are times we feel like the world's against us. But for Jesus, the world truly was every bit of the world against him. At every turn of event, during every season of his life, in every high moment, every dark moment, every temptation, trying to get him to be inconsistent with his faithfulness to God, his faithfulness in serving. So what does that consistency look like? Matthew chapter 20. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mark carries a very similar statement, Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What Jesus does is he serves. In Luke 22, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them called themselves um, benefactors but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. And he gives a rhetorical question here. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? He says, is it not the one who is at the table? And look what Jesus says. But I am among you as one who serves. The one who could have been sitting at the table, the one who could have been being served is the one who serves this is pastor eric thanks so much for checking out our life church podcast we pray that it's a blessing to you for more information about life church check us out at lifechurchutah.com